0: Hell yeah, baby. Steal all my information. Use my face to perfect that fucking AI that recognizes surveillance video that the cops are going to use. Let's do this. Let's do it.
1: Oh, man. All right. So, all right, everyone. So, just want to say this is a bonus episode of Comics Podcast, uh, and we actually have a, a, a very special guest. We are extremely excited about this. Uh, so, uh, I am Esteban. I'm Ash. And we have the... Hi, I'm- <laughs> oh, <hey.
0: laughs> I am... I wasn't sure if you were going to hand it off.
1: But I was going to say, I'm Dave Baker. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> hey. <laughs> yeah, so we have Dave Baker with us yes. uh, today. Uh, and he's graciously, you know, reached out to us to go ahead and promote uh, his upcoming graphic novel, you know, that's coming out. Uh, so Dave, uh, give us a little bit about yourself.
0: Yeah, um, I'm originally from Arizona. Uh, I live in Los Angeles. I've been here for fucking who knows how long. Um, (laughs) uh, I write comics and draw comics. And uh, the book that theoretically we're going to be talking about today is called Everyone is Tulip. It's a Story about a young girl who moves from Arizona to Los Angeles. I wonder where that comes from. Uh-oh. uh Oh, Hey, You just to... took one of my questions. <laughs> <laughs> we got to start over. Uh, yeah, so it's about a young girl who moves from LA from Arizona to LA uh, to become uh, trying to become an actor. And when she gets here, um, accidentally kind of falls backwards into the, the this this art project where she kind of gets sucked up into this. the high stakes world of youtube performance art which is a real thing um and and the book is about you know the this kind of like small nucleus of characters that are forced to reckon with ideas of kind of how far would you go to be be able to get what you want how Mm -hmm. how what are the compromises that you're willing to make um what does artistic integrity or or the idea of art theft mean to to these various individuals Mm -hmm. Um, as well as just kind of like struggling to make ends meet. So, mm-hmm. so the, the book itself is this kind of um, drama that's also kind of funny. So it's a it's like a right. dramedy uh, okay. about the this small like orbit of characters, but primarily uh, Becca Harper, who's the actor, and uh, this character Stanley, who is the kind of director showrunner of all these bizarre, uh, politically oriented kind of YouTube videos.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow, that's very cool. How long have you been working on this on this specific project?
0: Um, I have been working on it for probably about four and a half, five years. Um, the artist on the book, Nicole Gu, um, she and I started the book probably about like twenty seventeen, somewhere in there, sixteen, okay. somewhere. I'm I'm not quite sure where exactly, but we around there, and then. We, we made like the first half of it and then she got the job to draw the Shadow of the Batgirl graphic novel for DC Comics so nice. we she was drawing them both for a while yeah. and then eventually was just like this is too hard so we like put Tulip on the side while she finished Batgirl and then after Tulip came back to it and and drew it and then there was probably like you know a nine month window where the book was done and it was at Dark Horse and it was just dealing with printers and all that stuff. So it's not like we've been working on it the whole time for five right. years or four years or whatever, but it's been an extended, like, you know, we, it's a passion project for the two of us for sure. You know, it's like something we've kind of kept coming back to and, mm-hmm. you know, and we've made a bunch of books together. We, we did a book that Silver Sprocket put out, which is a like a coming of age uh, queer romance book called Fuck Off Squad. And, nice. um, uh, you know, we, we've probably made like probably six Six graphic novels or so, um, and we have a we have another one that's done that's going to be published by Simon and Schuster next year, um, called the Forest Hills Bootleg Society, which is about a bunch of bullied teenage girls who go to a conservative Christian school in the middle of nowhere California, who uh, start. Um, selling hentai to all of their male classmates. And they kind of like, it's like this kind of like drug ring almost where they're like selling the hentai and to these kids and kind of like, you know, amassing money and kind of like moving up through the social strata of the school while, uh, you know, their interpersonal relationships are kind of like falling apart. Um, yeah.
1: That's awesome, man. That's very, very cool.
2: I, I could absolutely see any of those becoming like uh, movie adaptations or anime adaptations or those Hit Those me up, Hollywood. Hit me up. Let's <laughs> do this,
0: baby. I'm ready. I
2: could definitely see that kind of stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I mean, what what really got you into comic books? Uh
0: I started reading comic books as a kid. Um the the Hergé comics, mm-hmm. the Banatine series Tintin is what really like got me into comics. Nice. Um, and uh I I, I honestly like I think it's the like the greatest art form in the history of man like you look at the caves of lascao and those are fucking comics you know you look at the sistine chapel and like it's people think of the ceiling of the sistine chapel but on the walls there Mm -hmm. are sequential panels that depict the history that's in the bible where it's moses hanging out and then another shot of moses doing stuff with his sons and another shot of moses putting animals on the ark and shit and it's like that's a fucking comic it's just really old and there's no word balloons but that's a fucking comic like mm-hmm. and and so I think the combination of of words and pictures uh in in concert is is just has limitless ability and because of the censorship that happened in the 1950s after the Kefauver hearings happened in the states um the ne- the medium just got completely crippled and so for me comics is like the closest thing I have to a fucking religion man like it's something I, I believe in wholeheartedly um that can affect political change uh you look at the chick tracks like you know i i don't agree with jack chick and his weirdo conservative christian values but like my biological grandfather when he died quoted jack chick in his will like that's how pervasive and kind of rapid the ideas that can exist in comics can spread and um yeah, I, I think that it is a, a medium with limitless potential, and uh, the vast majority of it, of it has, has still yet to be tapped um, because the majority of the work here in North America was produced under a factory assembly line position controlled by intellectual property gangsters. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, that's well said. <laughs>
0: I mean, it's a bummer, but it's true. Like, like, DC Comics was literally founded by the mob. Like, Jack Cohen was a rum runner in upstate New York. And his best friend was this guy, Harry Donenfeld, who was the publisher of DC Comics. And the reason DC Comics started is because Jack Cohen needed some way to clean his money. So they bought a printing press and basically he set Harry Donenfeld up as like the patsy of like, you're gonna run this printing press. We're gonna run all of these pulp novel printing jobs through this press. And we're gonna clean my rum running money. And they did that for a couple of years and then comics came along and it was even harder to trace the history and the accounting of comics because the way that comics were originally printed is they would print literally a million copies, distribute all of them and then bring them back in and for the returns and be like, oh, we only sold 400,000. Okay, destroy the rest and let's print more. So it was a perfect accounting scheme to be like, to just rig the numbers and be like, if they only got, you know, 400,000 in sales they just say they sold 600,000 then pulp the rest Um, and so that same work work ethos basically of kind of theft and and, and gangsterism factored into the contracts which is why Batman and Superman and all these other characters were just completely stolen from their creators as opposed to you know actual literary publishing where people own the copyright to what they write. (laughs) Wow.
1: Yeah. That's that's a that's a the more you know type thing you know right now. All right, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's it's,
0: <laughs> it's really the history of comics is fascinating to me and it's it's very um it's really interesting to see kind of how those building blocks fit together and how really honestly like one or two people can change everything. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. for the better or for the worse. Like it's really fascinating to me. That's awesome, man
2: so as you got into comics that's where you started maybe doing the um getting more in like the info you just gave us like just got into it so much that you gotta learn like the background of it and everything or
0: yeah yeah you know i mean? guess. Like the- yeah yeah i mean i I, th- I think you know there are there are there are wrestling fans that like rest the art of wrestling and then there are wrestling fans that love the kayfabe stuff. Right. Yeah. And they, they almost, they follow the kayfabe, like behind the scenes shit more than the actual wrestling. I would agree. And, and I'm a little bit of both. Like I like, I like, I, I'm, I'm more of a casual wrestling fan yeah. because I, I worked on a wrestling TV show. So no I kind of like, I didn't grow up with it. So I, mm-hmm. I, okay. I kind of got into it through working on that show. Mm-hmm. And so like, I want, like, I don't, I'm not really a big sports person either, but I love sports documentaries. Like Thirty for Thirties yeah. are always yeah. like, "Hey, March, all right, Thirty for Thirty. <laughs> who's gonna be, what are we doing to this month, guys?" Yeah. And and I feel that same way, kind of about uh, wrestling, where I like I love Dark Side of the Ring, and and you know, there's a bunch of like weird, like I <laughs> I watch Jim Cornette's YouTube channel all the time. I don't even know yeah. like mm-hmm. half of the shit he's talking about. Yeah. But I'm just like, it's interesting to learn about things from people that are passionate about those things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and and. I am kind of the same way with comics where like I read a bunch of nonfiction books about comics and I, I love the you know behind the scenes machinations of comics almost as much as the medium because it, it, it's some it's an industry founded on pure passion detrimentally so sometimes because mm. it's very difficult for there to be a middle class it's very difficult for people to just kind of like work in comics just to pay the bills it's not like animation or movies or whatever like there's not really an equivalent to like a character actor or you know like a a journeyman tv director like that doesn't really happen in comics because the, Mm -hmm. the money is so low so you end up with these very interesting a lot of times very flawed people that are in it purely for the passion of the medium and their lives end up becoming warped and frankly broken a lot of the times because they are so dedicated to this thing. And uh, yeah, I, I just love learning about all that stuff. I mean, partly it's kind of like, you know, research of like, Oh God, I don't want to end up like so-and-so. Yeah. Oh God. I don't want to be Joe Schuster blind without any rights to any of the work that I made.
1: (sighs) No, absolutely. Yeah. But I I wanted to ask um, who was or is your biggest influencer?
0: oh man that's a good question uh there's a lot of answers to that i think on the on the art side Mm -hmm. um i think you know i i I draw a lot like people like jeff darrow or james Stokoe or osamu Mm -hmm. tezuka the like i'm gonna put seven million lines in this fucking (laughs) drawing oh look at this rubble oh look at these stones Uh like i i'm a big I love I love that kind of like Windsor McKay school of detail overload yeah. um, uh, on the writing side. Um, that's a good question. On the writing side, I like a lot. I like a lot of different stuff. You know, like I, I think for this book specifically for Tulip, one of the things that we were talking about is kind of the the burgeoning internet performance art thing that was happening yeah. in like twenty. 15 16 17 somewhere in there like you know there was all these people like Dol vita who's like a russian performance artist uh who does stuff on instagram um don't hug me i'm scared which is like a puppet troupe um and they make and and poppy and uh belle delphine and these kind of like people who have public personas that are kind of antagonistic and making kind of generically anti-corporate Mm -hmm. work like that's the thing that's i i i've I've kind of even segued away from your original question the answer is on the writing side i love (laughs) i love a lot of people that are like weird weirdos like i love uh sophie campbell and her her wet moon series which is about a bunch of like uh college girls in art school in Mm -hmm. rhode island i love um like i love martial law you know like the 80s book by kevin o'neill and pat um pat mills um uh yeah, I don't know. And then I like a lot of novelist stuff too. Like I love uh it's again a kind of cliche like mm-hmm, big headed <laughs> answer, but I love David Foster Wallace. Like I love that guy. Like Consider the Lobsters like amazing and mm-hmm. and you know, I know that's again cliche of like mm-hmm, but there's a reason these motherfuckers talk about infinite jest. There's a reason. It's <laughs> fucking cool. Um no, absolutely. Yeah, but I I don't even know. Did I answer your question?
1: No, I don't right. know. <laughs> No, no, you did, you did. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's pretty fascinating, your, your your influences. It's like you've got, you know, the the writer side and then the artistic side, you know, and, and to kind of, uh, you being the artist and you being an artist as well as a writer, just to see and to pull everything together and make it you, make it Dave Baker, I, you know? Yeah, it, it, yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah, I think part of that is
0: like, I'm a pretty analytical person. Like, mm-hmm. I think there's there are some artists that, draw completely off of passion like they don't necessarily even internalize or analyze why they're doing the things they're doing mm-hmm. they're just doing those things because it it fits their skill set or they think it looks cool or whatever like i know that uh you know i wrote this book night hunters which is coming out from floating world which is kind of a dystopian crime cyberpunk comic drawn by alexis zirit who drew space writers uh and you know his style I always jokingly call it like Tijuana Bible Kirby. And like, <laughs> and like he, he, like I've talked to him about this stuff and he always is very kind of almost uncomfortable discussing his influences because there's stuff that he likes, but I don't know that his brain breaks it down into components in maybe the way that mine does. And that's not to say one is better than the other. It's right. just like left, left brain, right brain people, right? Um, Cause you know, like his, his way of drawing is very kind of loose and organic and there's these big like swatches of color almost and like I could not do that like I don't I don't it looks amazing Mm -hmm. but I would not know how to do that I would just be like it wouldn't look finished if I just like colored a guy purple it just wouldn't look cool right um but his his brain is able to pair Analogous and complementary colors to the degree that, like, a highlight will be yellow and a, uh, you know, the drop shadow will be purple, and it's like that's not what would happen in real life. But fuck me, it looks amazing. <laughs> and like, for better or for worse, I think my brain is a little bit more like, almost kind of uh, building blocks. Where like, when we start a book, I'm kind of like, oh, what's the like narrative mechanic of the book? Like, what is the way that the panels work and the page turns work? that feeds into a theme like so for for tulip you know there's the there's the book is all about social media the book is all about compromise so how do those two things interrelate Mm -hmm. and that's when i came up with this idea of like oh i wonder if we put cell phones in nine panel grids in a pattern so that half of the panels there'd be 18 panels on a page half the panels would be narrative panels half the panels would be cell phones that would be a 50 50 compositional split and all the, the compositions would be, um, they would mirror each other, which would make all of them balanced, which feeds into the theme of how far are you willing to go to compromise? You know, everything is about finding balance or not finding balance. And that idea kind of informed a lot of the stuff in the book, which I don't, I don't know that all artists think that way sometimes it's just like why did you make this panel long and skinny because it fucking looks cool you know (laughs) where I think I think I probably start thinking of things from the writer mechanical like ones and zeros level and then layer the other things on top of it maybe
1: yeah I saw I went to to the to your website and I went to the everyone is to look website and I was I read the first and the second chapter that you guys had up on the website and I saw that the way you had the panel, how it was, it had the, the dialogue panel and then the the cell phone panel on there. I'm like, I never, never would have thought something like that, you know, to try to tie everything in. And, it, and in all honesty, it looks beautiful. It, the way that you have it layered and stuff like that, it looks beautiful. I love it. it it's great the way you have it all layered on there. Yeah,
0: n- Nicole, definitely. Like, it's one thing for me to have, like, an idea like mm-hmm. oh what if the pages are symmetrical and that like is it like you know thematically leads into the fact that it's all about like trying to find a compromise it doesn't mean anything if it's executed poorly and like right. nicole not only executed it well but added so many of those things where like you know maybe i did it once in the script where i said like oh what if we do this and then mm-hmm. she did it and then later in the book she would add more stuff like that and like you know it it's pedantic to point out every time she added stuff, but mm-hmm. there's a big, you know, there's there's multiple big moments in the book that are not in the script. They're completely from her where she was like, I feel like we should do this. And it's like, oh my God, that w- that's so much better than what was written. Mm-hmm. Yes, please, please make this better. <laughs> that's
2: awesome. I found it interesting the um, from where the character starts and then all and I don't want to get everything away, but all the experiences of what she's trying. You, you did say she's uh, trying to be an actress. Or yeah. Okay. So then I don't, I'm not giving that away. All the auditions and stuff. And then the thing that takes off and then slowly, but surely she's like becoming a different person, you yes. know? And that was very cool. I liked that a lot. Um, like you're kind of, um, you're seeing her grow and there's a lot of, um, and you see the things that are made, the experiences within that, that are making her, Kind of become this and totally. I, I, I really really appreciated that that was really cool
0: and also like you know to to your point of like the character becca is like changing and growing there's the that's executed in an, in an interesting way to me in that mm-hmm. the the character becca when she's in the real world is drawn one way mm-hmm. it, 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 it theoretically in a more western uh, a more American com- indie comics face. Like she's got like dot eyes and a smaller nose and a larger mouth. And then when she's the character of Tulip, which is the, the kind of like performance art character that's in the videos that we see over the course of the book, uh, Nicole came up with this idea of like, oh, what if we had her depicted in a more stylized way that was almost kind of like a shoujo manga So that like you know the shoujo mangas are very you know a lot of them are amazing but the stereotype of them is that they're very surface level it's very female oriented and very romance centric so what if we had her the tulip face be drawn almost like an 80s shoujo character so that there would be this it's still the same character but there's just the eyes are bigger the mouth is smaller there's no nose the ears are larger um, the hairdos are more ornate. Uh, the costumes are more over the top. Like at one point, Nicole drew Becca as Tulip wearing a chair for a hat, and I just like, <laughs> I just like died laughing. I was like, this is this is so good. Fuck yeah, a chair for a hat. Um, and I think that that's you know that that kind of that's a recurring mo- motif throughout the book is like the person you the decisions you make inform the person you will be, and the internet sometimes shows you kind of a future forecast of who you're going to be if you continue to make the choices you're making. And you, in that moment, might think that that's a great thing. However, when you arrive at the destination, it might be something completely different. Um, and and that that tension or that kind of like looming background radiation or dread to the universe is something that's very interesting to me. As someone who unfortunately lives on the internet in 2021, there was, a, there was a panel
2: uh, where, well, several panels, but where she's checking like her notifications and I was like, oh my God, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> it's been two minutes. Yeah, like, totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's all of us. Yeah. I mean, so at crazy. this point,
0: at this point, like we're, we're all basically just being dopamine hit conditioned to be slaves to a box that is recording and commodifying every one of our experiences and selling it to the highest bidder, which is insane. And am I holier than thou? No, because I have a TikTok (laughs) and those motherfuckers in China are listening to me. They are listening to me and they are uh, cataloging my face in videos and they are going to use it and it's going to be so not good someday. (laughs) And it's not even, that's not like, to say anything specifically about tiktok i mostly am just saying that because it's front of mind because they all do that all of them right. do that um and it's terrifying i don't know if you guys have seen but the like neighborhood watch app sentinel or no citizen citizen have you seen this no so it's a it's basically it sounds like something from a shitty judge dread comic dude like it's fucking wild <laughs> yeah. so it's an it's a neighborhood watch app it's called citizen where people report crimes or altercations in their in their immediate vicinity so it's basically like snitch the app and and basically up until this point it's been around for a couple years and up to this point it's kind of almost like a really dark reality tv show app that you can go on and just like watch people's homes being invaded and like watch drive-bys and watch all of this horrible stuff and it's not always that dark like sometimes it's just like There's a suspicious guy, and he's going over there. And it's like, you are a fucking racist. That's just a dude walking home. (laughs) Um, But recently, there have been pilot programs around the country where Citizen is now launching a private security firm where they are rolling out a private police force that will respond to Citizen updates. So it's basically like a Blackwater private militia that's going to crowdsource informants in order to just like freelance murder people ostensibly (laughs) like
1: it's it's horrific jesus
0: wow are they gonna go off a picture or the a video or- yeah basically yeah. the way the app works is people upload photos and and video to the app and they like live stream it where they're like oh look over there i'm filming this uh this guy breaking into a house oh man or oh that house is on fire oh god send someone and so the sentinel program for citizen will work where you know it'll there'll be a guy going you damn mutie <laughs> and then giant purple robots are going to yeah. come out they're going to shoot lasers out of their hands of course yeah. <laughs> i totally can only weird. imagine
2: that app when i was like sneaking home from the freaking bar or something yeah like, dude. you know jay like there's a guy getting my backyard i
0: forgot my 100 yeah. 100 like that shit happens all the time now yeah. anyway yeah. when there is like slight checks and balances i mean there's really not like Mm. fucking abolish the police like this is fucking bullshit <laughs> at this point but at least there's institutions that are regulated and are mm. being held like, sort of accountable it's not even really being held accountable but the idea of a blackwater style freelance militia is just like unconscionably terrifying yeah No, I, most I, I
2: have is like say facebook where it says like uh, uh there's a guy jogging and he doesn't look like he should be jogging like here and you're like why are you why am i getting this notification i don't care
1: yeah i mean
0: it's totally going to be that though it's going to be there's a guy jogging he shouldn't be jogging and then three dudes all dressed in black with massive machine guns roll up and they're like bro why are you fucking jogging (laughs) but they don't have but they're not going to be able to be badged there's not going to be badge numbers there's not going to be body cams because it's not an institution it's like a private fucking company none of that sounds good no -hmm. none of that sounds good so anyway buy my comic about social media (laughs) i was gonna gonna say that could be inspiration for your next your next yeah exactly
1: yeah 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 yeah. oh man i and i wanted i wanted to ask uh what what kind what piece of advice would you want that that you would give to someone uh trying to create their first comic
0: Mm. uh i would say start small Mm -hmm. make mini comics don't start with a 200-page graphic novel. You won't finish. Um, I would say, if it's something, yeah, I would say self-publish. Uh, I would say don't wait for somebody to give you the green light because they won't. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, don't take deals where you don't own the work because a lot of, a lot of publishers, uh, there are a lot of small-tier publishers who will put out, you know, people who are ready to put out young uh, burgeoning work or whatever. And the first line of the contract is you have the copyright and then the next line of the co- co- the next line of the contract is, but we own the film rights and we own the TV rights and we own the video game rights and we own the uh, merchandising rights and we own the wash, ma- wash washing machine rights and we own the uh, ability to, to put it on lollipop wrappers if we want. Right. Maybe don't take those deals. <laughs> Maybe don't take those deals. Those deals are not good. they're never good. Um, like a lot I of people that
2: take advantage of people like breaking in, so they yes, you know, yeah, that's music, anything, yeah,
0: anything it, it's yeah. So one, find a lawyer. Two, maybe don't, don't just don't take those deals, bro. Like it's much easier to self-publish, and the book is going to be seen by just as many people. Mm-hmm. Like, especially now with the distributor wars that are happening, where it's like Diamond's going to go under in six months. I mean, who knows? But that's All what right. everyone's saying. You know, Penguin Random House is now distributing comics and they seem to be the, the primary front runner for who's gonna win. Um, it just makes more sense to self-publish. Like I know it's, it, it'll feel like an accomplishment to get it into a store somewhere, but there will be a day for that. But when you're starting out, self-publish, go to, go to zine fests, go to conventions. Um, I run a Facebook group called Let's Do All the Conventions if anybody's listening to this and wants to make comics, feel free to join. It's completely, you know, open to anybody. Um, and it's it's for knowing it's basically like a a forum for people to be like, How the fuck do I do this? Where do I apply for conventions? Where do I print comics? Where do I buy set up display racks? Right. Um, you know, there's like two thousand fuckers in there who all tour the country regularly. Like I do like twenty five to thirty shows a year. Well. I haven't recently because there's been a little, (laughs) little pandemic, a little pandemic. but prior to that, uh, you know, I, I tour regularly and that's, that's the reason why I've been able to do so much of the stuff that I've been able to do is just meeting people at shows like start small, make mini comics, go to conventions. That's, that's my advice. If you're trying to make comics, those three things are what will set you up for success.
1: That's awesome. I'm sure our listeners would appreciate that 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 piece of knowledge that you're giving them right now. Uh, so so thank you for that. And I wanted to mention I did see the comic books will break your heart short that you have. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Tell me why <laughs> yesterday because we, we usually typically record on Thursday. So yesterday a buddy and my I brought a buddy of mine on who regularly talks or regularly buys comic books. And the the line that she, that was listed on there about buying the variants and stuff like that, I like when that was said, I'm like, fucker's talking to me right now. Like, what the hell? Like, what the fuck? You know, like I was just like, I'm I'm stopping and just gonna buy the original one. I'm not gonna buy the variants, you know, uh, because you know he he actually uh, sends his stuff out to like CGC and all that stuff and gets stuff graded and whatnot, you know, and then turns around and the, like the the two that were on there, like this guy's gonna make a killing on eBay you know, we'll end up selling some of his stuff on there, you know, but when I never thought of it in the grand scheme of things for the local comic book shops, when purchasing every single variant cover, because now the comic shop is torn, like, okay, there's this new comic coming out, there's two variants that are going to come out, do we buy just one, or do we buy the other one, you know, or do we do 50-50, like, what do we do, you know, and then it just, it's just a, a giant snowball effect, if they don't buy enough of one thing, you know, it's, it's nuts. Like I, I never thought of it that way, you know, and it, I'm just kind of like, I'm just going to buy one now.
0: Yeah. Uh, basically the thing that you're describing is, is I made a, I, I wrote and directed a short a couple years ago called comics will break your heart, which is like a, uh, a like a, a comedic narrative short basically that's kind of an explainer about mm-hmm. the business practices of the comic book industry. Um, and the fact that in the 1990s, comics were selling millions and millions of copies because the publishers were doing 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 variant covers. Mm-hmm. And the way they would do it is they would make, they're called gated variants. So you order, there's different numbers for the different reta- uh, different publishers. But like, let's say... Marvel Comics has a variant that's a Black Panther variant on a Black Panther book that's a very popular book. In order to get that comic, sometimes the retailers have to order 100 copies of the standard cover to get one copy of the variant cover.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What's even crazier, and that, and that goes up and up and up and up. Sometimes there's like, you got to order 2,000, you got to order 3,000, you got to order 4,000. What's even crazier is sometimes they have um, – a a different level of gated variant where you have to buy a different book to get Black Panther. Like if Black Panther is a really popular book, Mm -hmm. but Squirrel Girl isn't selling well, sometimes they'll do gated variants where if you buy 400 copies of Squirrel Girl, which nobody wants, I mean, people liked the Brian North most recent version, but before that Squirrel Girl was not a popular character. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, So bear with me in the example (laughs) Buy 400 copies of Squirrel Girl, which, you know, you're not going to move to get that Black Panther variant cover that, you know, there's going to be, you know, six guys on eBay. that are going to be willing to pay $600 for it or whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the craziest part is that all of this, these speculator tactics that were very successful in the 90s and caused print runs to balloon to the highest they've been in North America. Like I think Spawn sold eight million copies. Mm-hmm. Like that's a shitload of Spawn number one, right? Yeah, that's a shitload. Um, and people think of that time period as like a halcyon. Like we did it. We look up. Mm-hmm. We comics were mainstream. Fucking Rob Liefeld was in a Levi's commercial. Yeah, which is <laughs> which is partly true. It was it was mainstreamed in that way because we live in a late stage capital society, capitalist society. So financial excess equals success, even when that financial excess is not sustainable and there's a bubble because there's Mm -hmm. speculators pumping the market because there's people buying 15, 20, 25, 30 copies of a book thinking that they're going to be able to put it into a fucking drawer and sell it in 20 years. And that same thing is happening right now where but it's just on a really low, small, bullshit, sad scale where there's people going to retailers asking them to buy five, 10, 15, 20 copies more than they normally would, Mm -hmm. 1,500, 2,000, 4,000 copies more than they normally would, depending on the specific example, in order to qualify for these very specifically gated variants that the company or the the retailer or sometimes the individual will then just flip on eBay. Um, Like it's pretty common right now for a regular at a shop to go in and say, hey, I saw that, whatever, XO Man of War number one is going to have a Chrome variant, but you have to order 2,000 copies to get it. I will buy 2,000 copies if you give me the uh, the variant. And right. a lot of stores do that, where they'll, they'll basically let the customer buy the 2,000 copies at either wholesale or just above wholesale
1: mm-hmm.
0: because they'll make... A small profit off of it and then give that person the, the 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 variant that person will then have the variant slabbed and graded by cgc and then throw it up on ebay and hope that some rube will pay 1500 2000 whatever it is for this graded variant that in 15 years no one will give two fucks about and it's all this weird ponzi retail scheme where it's kind of bad for everybody mm-hmm. in different ways but it makes everybody look good at one point or another during the right. process. So it just keeps happening. <laughs> it's fucking yeah. bullshit, man.
1: It's, it's crazy. Cause I, 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 when I purchase comic books, um, obviously go by the story and whatnot, but if I do see a variant cover that is outrageous and looks amazing, I obviously I want to pick that one up, you know? But I've noticed that there are certain comic book shops where, like you were saying, the gated variant, like they're only, it's only going to be a gated variant for this specific comic book shop, like Torpedo Comics or something totally. along those lines, you know. And then the back, the very, the back cover is, it'll say Torpedo Comics variant cover, blah 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 blah, you know, and and it's sold as is, you know. And they all get those, and it's limited. And and, and I, I noticed that it happened a lot when Keanu Keanu Reeves' comic book Berserker came out. That thing was insane. There was the there was one variant copy that jumped up to thirty five hundred dollars, you know, for it to yeah thirty five hundred dollars, and it wasn't even signed by him or anything. It was just that one variant in order for yeah. it and that for it to go. So it, it makes sense, like the, how you're explaining everything, Dave. How how it just balloons, and you know yeah, there's going to be a Berserker movie and there's going to be a Berserker anime. But like you said, in 20 years, who's going to care that there was a Berserker movie or a Berserker anime, you know? Yeah, and, like, and specifically,
0: like that, ber- that Berserker situation is, is really fascinating, right? Because the reason that Kickstarter made a million dollars, which is the reason everything popped off in the direct market with, you know, all these variant covers and all mm-hmm. of this kind of like speculation hype, which is the reason that they were able to get a movie deal and an anime deal is because there are no unions and i'll explain what i mean by that so in hollywood there are very specific criteria for who can be credited on a movie because there are unions that protect people's interest so if you write a draft of if you write a draft of a movie and you're the first screenwriter on it you're probably going to be a credited screenwriter maybe it depends but you're probably gonna be the writer. If a producer comes in and writes one word on that script, you're not they're not gonna be a writer because the unions are then gonna look at it and there's a car honking outside my house. I apologize. It's okay. <laughs> the, the unions, the unions, like the, the screenwriters guild or the screen acting guild or the the directing guild, like they all have criteria for how people can receive credit and residuals for the projects, right? So you can't have 15 directors on a movie. You, they, the DGA won't allow it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people that want to be co-credited won't even be allowed. Like Robert Rodriguez is no longer in the DGA because he wanted to direct the movie with Frank Miller and the DGA wouldn't let them, let him. So he left the DGA. So that means he's no longer eligible to win an Oscar. Um, uh, for screenwriting, it's the same thing, right? I think, I, I believe if you are the first draft writer, you have to, you have to contribute 50% of the script uh, in your draft like the finished version has to ha- resemble 50% of your draft to mm-hmm. receive a screenplay by credit 25% if it's uh, a story by credit maybe I think mm-hmm. I, I, I don't remember the specifics but regardless there is a there's an arbitration there is a private court literally that's that's wow. uh, you know put together where there's three there's a panel of three judges they evaluate each screenwriter makes their case of like oh this is why i deserve to be a screenwriter credited on it because i did this character and i i instituted this subplot or whatever there are no unions in comics which means you can have weird intellectual property ponzi schemes where you find a writer who's willing to put their name on a project with someone who isn't the writer like i love keanu reeves man he seems like a fucking sweetheart yeah but he didn't write that fucking bullshit he didn't he did not write that bullshit Matt Kent wrote that comic. Uh-huh. And I don't even necessarily blame Matt Kent because he's like trying to make ends meet as a cartoonist, trying to right. get up, you know, trying. he's trying to get over, right? I get it. But they made a Kickstarter with the sales point that Keanu Reeves wrote a comic with Matt Kent.
1: Right?
0: He didn't. Matt Kent wrote that comic and then they put Keanu Reeves' name on it as a selling point. And then they leveraged it, made a lot of noise on Kickstarter, which then factored into all the stuff we're talking about where now you have a lot of awareness of the properties you're able to convince uh retailers that hey there's a lot of people are going to be coming in looking for this book and then you do all these variants which pumps the 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 price of everything up more and more and more because you're catering to a very small audience that is very ravenous for things that are similar to what they experienced as children which Mm. is exactly what happened in the 90s right people were like oh, variants yeah! <laughs> which is what's happening right now and it fucking sucks yeah. it's not cool like it fucking blows
1: so in support your local comic book shop is essentially what it's coming down to at yeah. this so yeah you know? go support the comic <laughs> shop
0: buy buy works that are like owned by the creators not yeah. scammy weird intellectual property ponzi schemes like berserker yeah uh, <laughs> no offense to anybody who worked on that title i like a lot of the Creators that work there, and mm. you know, Boom has put out some cool books, but really, guys, yeah. really okay.
1: No, no, for sure. Yeah, it, it, it makes sense. I mean, you know, it, it, at one point, I was the one that's like, I'm gonna buy the variants of all of us and that, you know, trying to find them, but now seeing, I'm not kidding you, seeing that short that you put together. And now, understanding more and more how it's broken down, and how, as you said, there's no union that comes down to it for comics, it, it just completely changed my mind to the entire thing, you know, about buying, you know, uh, and trying to flip or whatever or anything along those lines. You know what I mean? It, it's not a matter of that, it's a matter of the actual support for the original work, for the original creators, and the comic book shops that. You know, who, frankly, let's be honest, suffered a lot last year because of the pandemic, you know, a lot of shops that that probably did end up closing because of the pandemic, you know, and then now the owners are stuck with this, this stock that they have that they can't move. Or what I've seen what they do is they do a lot of those live auctions on Instagram or Facebook or what have you in order to try to make ends meet, you know, so so yeah, to, to your point. Go support your local comic book shops, you yeah. know, buy, buy original uh, artwork or original stories that that is owned by the creators, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. just like everyone is Tulip, go out and buy hey. that book. <laughs> hey! Hey!
0: In comic book stores, June 16th. In bookstores, June 29th. Hey, hey, hey! Awesome.
1: <laughs> So I wanted to go ahead and thank you so much, Dave, for, for reaching out and being on our podcast, you know, and, and spreading the word uh, about essentially comic book awareness, you know, and, and purchasing and especially your story, your, your, your everyone is too love book. That's going to be coming. That's going to be dropping later on this month. Um, So, I mean, where can everybody uh, go ahead and find you on the social medias?
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, if you want to watch dumb videos of me drawn or making, making, silly uh silly videos like me basically just talking like all this this basically all this shit (laughs) if you want to listen to me say more of this dumb shit uh you can find me on tiktok instagram and twitter at xdavebakerx uh if you want to listen to my podcast i have an explainer podcast that i do uh with my with my buddy andrew price uh, it's a like a deep dive explainer podcast where we pick obscure topics and then walk the listener through the ins the outs and the nitty-gritty so they can appear like an interesting and a decent person at their next forced social function <laughs> uh, we did like we did a we did an episode about um, the file sharing service uh, Napster that like changed the way music yeah. distribution yeah. is done uh-huh. but we we did it as a two and a half hour musical with 11 original <laughs> songs. <laughs>
1: That's awesome.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And then we we also did, we did an episode all about the, um, the making, the production, uh, the writing, the production and, and the release of Buckaroo Banzai, the occult or the -hmm. the, the the classic cult film from the Mm eighties starring Peter Weller. And, uh, and at the end of the episode, we got the original writer and directors uh, to make a, a, like a 10 minute radio play for us with, the original characters from, Buck- with original characters from the Buckaroo Banzai movie being played by the character the actors from, that were in the movie, um, so we have, oh, shit. yeah, it was written by Earl Mac Roush, the guy who wrote the movie, and produced by W.D. Richter, the director, and uh, star, the, the, the scene stars Billy Vera, who plays Pinky Carruthers, shit. and Pepe Serna, who plays Reno the Kid in the movie, and they that both, the is- uh, we, we we recorded all over Zoom and there's a song in that one too because the Pinky Carruthers character is a musician in the movie. So Andrew That's wrote an original Buckaroo Banzai song and yeah, it, it, if you're into if you're into weird three-hour exhaustive <laughs> deep dive podcasts,
1: <laughs> it sounds like our show yeah point. no it does because when we get together and we record it's like yeah it's only going to be like an hour we got like three topics that we're going to talk about it's it's an hour that turns into four it's it's like the snyder cut you know yeah. I just did, turned...
0: look man i'm a fan of slow motion podcasting You know? <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a i'm a fan i'm a fan of taking seven minutes to light an arrow on fire and shoot it into the air there it is you know, <laughs> i'm a fan what up Zack snyder you want to you want to you want to direct a deep cuts movie let's do this man let's do this
1: we're, we're just we're just look we just want to get our name out there that's all we're trying to do
0: you mean bro you mean both brother man you mean both we're out here we're being like you know we just want to be like Zack snyder we want to have really bad tribal tattoos we want to we want to be really into like ayn randian objectivist bullshit mm-hmm. um and, uh, you know, uh, fundamentally misunderstand the purpose of iconic characters like Superman and Batman and uh, turn them into war-hungry, bloodthirsty, midnight-drenched, uh, beat-em-up monsters. That sounds great to me.
1: And, and there's only <laughs> one, and they only have one safe word, and it's Martha. That's all they got. Oh, my it's God, yeah. <laughs>
0: Dude, I, I, I can't believe, like, that's that's, th- the Martha thing, to me, is like, I always say it's like uh, room ideas where like when you're in a room pitching, sometimes you you need like a big, chunky, goofy idea like that to like hook the people you're talking to into like to get them on your side of like, okay, so it's this story. These are the characters, this, that, and the other. And then there's going to be this moment. You're going to be, there's going to be a moment, right? And they're going to bond over the shared trauma of losing their moms, right? And you're like, oh, that's cool. How does that play out? Oh, they both discover that their moms are named Martha. What? Their moms are both named Martha? Yeah, you know, I've been reading all these Silver Age comics and both Ma Kent, who's secretly named Martha, and Martha Wayne, they're both named Martha. No one's ever done anything with that one. That's fresh, fertile narrative ground that we can cover. And some WB executive was just like, yeah, that's great.
1: It's, It's just one of those, yeah, he's like, he hears it and he goes, how much do you want? How, much? <laughs> how, how much? much,
0: how much, how much, how much, how much, that's how much
1: you, you, that's how much you want me to write the checkout for. Okay. You yep. got it. Sure.
0: Yeah. 100%. Or okay, even can like I sell you? Can I sell you? <laughs> <laughs> or even like in it, like, did you see army of the dead? Yeah. yeah. Oh man. I don't know why I watched that movie, but I watched that movie. <laughs> yeah. Cause I just, at this point you kind of just have to, because he's such <laughs> like, like Zack Snyder is such a big part of like the nerd ecosystem. Mm-hmm. That even if you don't like his movies, you have to watch them just so you can accurately defend why you don't like them.
1: But you saw the movie, right? Yeah, but still, look at what I'm trying to point out. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like, that movie was so, like, I can't believe that they made that
0: movie in that way. Like, I, like, and part of it is really sad. Like, genuinely, part of it is really sad to me because... Like, the quality of the movie is whatever. Mm -hmm. It's not something that's for me. I don't really like the aesthetic. I don't like Zack Snyder's direction. He's not a good writer. It's just not for me. That's cool. There are people that love it. And more power to you, man. It's hard. Life out here is fucking tough. If the last year has taught us anything, you could fucking die tomorrow. So if Mm -hmm. what makes you happy to get up in the morning is fucking the idea of corn as a fucking movie, go for it, dude. Ooh ah 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 Get down yeah. with the Zack Snyder or whatever. That's disturbed. That's not even corn. I don't even know any <laughs> fucking corn. Like, good for you, man. Great. I, I go with God. I say, go with God.
2: Yeah, I, I, see, it's cool because you spell corn with a K, man. With a K,
1: man. It's with a K, man. It's with a K, and then you get the R, and you flip it backwards. Yeah, Dude. Dude.
0: Toys R Us. Toys R Us. <laughs> yeah, but the thing that's so weird about that movie to me is like. It's obviously a very personal movie to him mm-hmm. and it's about a father trying to redeem his past mistakes with a daughter, which right. we all know what that is about. Mm-hmm. We all know what he's saying there. And I feel genuinely empathetic towards him, man. Like I'm rooting for this guy. Like that is such a horrible thing for a parent to endure. I, I, my heart goes out to him as a human being. Right. I just don't fucking like his movies. <laughs> <laughs> it's, and it's really weird that the the metaphorical solve of like my daughter is no longer around, mm-hmm. and the thing that I feel guilty about that separated us was my distance because I was always away making movies, mm-hmm. which is metaphorically in the script in various ways for people who haven't seen it. Right. But the way that he solves that, like metaphorically, is by stealing money. Like, yeah, that's the <laughs> that's the metaphor as you all right, man, like, I'm, on, I'm on your side. I want you to have catharsis through your art and work through this mm-hmm. trauma and this horrendous thing that has happened to you and your loved ones. But the moral of like just go into a place that's
1: got a bunch of money and take it is really strange. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, it, it very much so is. <laughs> it's re- it really and is. it's
0: also really weird that it's just aliens. Like, it's just aliens.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like, minus, minus
0: Jeanette Goldstein in Brownface. That's, that's about it.
1: Very true. Very, very true. <laughs>
0: I, went a, I went to a screening of, of Aliens for the 25th anniversary a couple years ago, and, and Jeanette Goldstein was there. Uh, she was like, the draw. It was like, come see Aliens with Jeanette Goldstein. And it was like, you know, a bunch of Latinx people and me. And that's what was really shocking to me. I was like, I didn't, honestly, I didn't know that she was the main speaker, I might not have gone just cause I feel kind of weird about like the fact that she's straight up in Brown face in that movie. Yeah. And everybody there was just, they, they loved her in the movie and they were just yeah. like, this is fucking rad. You rule. And I'm like, man, we need to get some representation up in these movies. <laughs> we need to, we need to get some representation because people out here are hungry.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Oh man, uh, but yeah, Dave. Again, man, I, I appreciate it. And in in the way that our co host Luis would go ahead and do, he would go ahead. And thank you <laughs> for for joining us. Yeah, for joining us today. Uh, like I, I really, what's that? He's like a DJ. He's like, like a DJ. Oh yeah, totally, yeah. totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so that that one's for you, Luis. When you end up editing this video. Yeah. <laughs> So, so again, thank you. Uh, Tulip drops
0: June 16th. June 16th in comic book stores, June 29th in bookstores. If you want to get a little bit of that tasty taste, you can read it on everyone's tulip.com
1: for free. There you go. Thank you again, Mr. Dave Baker. We appreciate you, sir. All right. So that's going to go ahead and wrap it up for this episode of comics. Thank you again for tuning in. Uh, like, subscribe to all of our social media. Comics.
2: We are everywhere.